Here he is. Hello, mate. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. Welcome to the Hit in the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and my co-host, Richard Kyson. Evening, mate. You okay? Yeah, really good, bud. Really good. Um, tonight, we've got Aaron O'Brien, who is the first team head coach at Maidenhead United in the Vanarama National League. Um, Aaron and I have known each other for a couple of years now, um, and we've had a uh, lots of chats over Twitter and um, got to know each other a little bit. Um, so Aaron's agreed to come on, have a chat to us about how Maidenhead are getting on. Uh, uh, his work with obviously the first team manager at Maidenhead, Alan Devonshire, the legend that is. And um, just basically about his, his coaching roles and, and his roles at the Maidenhead United Academy as well. Sounds good, Jambo. Should we get straight in, mate? Hello, Aaron O'Brien. Hello, guys. How you doing? Good, thanks, mate. Big Rich is here as well. How you doing, lads? Good. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem at all. Um, so, Aaron, I, I appreciate you uh, coming on to this. We've sort of known each other on social media for like a yeah. couple of years. Um, I can't remember how I randomly texted you. I feel I just randomly tweeted you one day and just said, oh, something, something or something or other. Yeah, we managed to do a pre-season and stuff, just something about a chat about pre-season. Oh, it was when I was at Holmer Green. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was at Holmer Green, Rich, and I um, when I was over there, it's pre-season. I just wanted like trying to look for a, maybe a couple of players, and I think actually I wanted to get maybe a friendly with the under twenty threes at Maidenhead. Um, and yeah, that's just really how it started, and ever since we've uh, blossomed into a social media friendship. And I just keep liking <laughs> your tweets about Tottenham and Wickham. And... <laughs> Yeah, I don't really like your tweets about Leeds. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, just because I've got a friend that sports Leeds and he winds me up about Leeds all the time. But bless him, that's that's Leeds fans. A fair play to him. <laughs> so, reason, yeah, exactly. So the reason we got you on today, mate, we want to talk a bit about coaching. We want to talk about your your career so far. Um, Aaron is first team head coach at Maidenhead United in the Vanarama National League. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to obviously have a talk about that. We'll talk about you're also academy manager um, during the week and, and et cetera. So, yeah. So, first of all, let's start off with um, Maidenhead United first team. Um, yeah. Let's talk about how the season's gone so far. We'll talk a bit about COVID and go from there. So, how's it going? How's, how's, the, how's, the, uh, how's it going? Uh, last four games, not great. We've not won in four. We've drawn two and lost two. So recent form's not been great. But prior to that, we we had a fantastic like start to the season. Apart from the first three games, I think everyone was looking at our first three games. We lost three and a bounce. Uh, 3-0, 4-0 and 3-2, I think it was. So it wasn't a great start. But then we went away to Wrexham on a Tuesday night and beat them 1-0. And it sort of just kick-started our season, gave the boys a bit of belief. And then from there, we went to Notts County, beat them 3-2. Then we started racking up the points and we're sitting, I think, 10th or 11th place at the moment. Um, but we've got four or five games in hand with some teams around us. And um, that's just, with, like, as you mentioned earlier about COVID, that, that's one of the biggest issues this year, like consistency of playing games. We, we went all the way to the 26th of December with no postponed fixtures. Then we had a month of no games. Then we come back and played a few. Then we've had this Saturday off, tonight off, where we should be playing Dover, um, but they're refusing to play at the moment. So, oh yeah, of course they are. 
the season's just sort of stop started the last two months, which hasn't helped us because we were on a really good rich vein of form. But if you often did uh, where we are now at the beginning of the season, we were probably beat your hand off. Um, yeah. Now yeah, we we want to do more and keep progressing. We just want don't want to rest on our laurels and just go from stay there and stagnate. We we want to keep pushing and see what we can achieve this season. Yeah, no, of course. Um, Aaron, just going back to those first three games of the season, um, yeah. as as a coach after the, after those three losses. Did, did you change anything yourself or was it just like, no, you know, believe in the process sort of thing and then just carry on? I think you always reflect. When you've when you lost games, you always look at yourself and go, what could, what could I have done? What could we have done as a, a management team and as players? But, like, for instance, Hartlepool, there's a third game, I think, or fourth game. We, first half, we should have been 4-0 up and that's no exaggeration. Then managed come out and said the same thing. We end up losing the game 3-0, I think it was, something along those lines. And, and that's that's the National League for you. If you don't take chances, you'll lose your games. It's cutthroat. Um, but we, we just kept believing. We, we knew we had a good bunch of players, but it's just little fine tweaks, maybe certain people in positions or just little instructions, little little tweaks on tactics, maybe how we set up defensively when we lose the ball. It's only minor changes. And then all of a sudden, it just fell into place and we started winning games. So trust the process to a certain extent. Um, but also just believe in the players and, and and don't change too much too soon. I think that's a it's very easy thing to do because as it works, so, oh, let's let's throw the kitchen sink at it and just change everything. Where we didn't do that, we we just changed little things and it seemed to work. And um, we carried on and got the good results. Good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have obviously I followed your post progress throughout the season actually and I, obviously like I said ever since we started talking I've always looked out for Maidenhead's results and stuff and you you're flying at one stage like I remember you got high as maybe fifth maybe something like that and yeah, just I think like, we, we got to fourth at one stage and yeah. uh, we, we were flying and everyone's like what's happened to Maidenhead I think and everyone if you look at the teams in that league and you look at less than yeah. face, a small club we are a small club we know that um, but when you've got teams in there that uh, played league football like you look at Notts County you look at Wrexham previous years Tramir Rovers Late Orient massive teams even Hartlepool like massive yeah. teams and to be mixing up with them and doing what we're doing it's fantastic and I don't and I don't think um, I don't think we get a little enough respect and enough praise for what I think we're doing I think we get overlooked sometimes and people look at oh little old maiden they shouldn't be there or, and things like that but we, we, yeah we are punching them other way a little bit but I think that's down to down to our manager who's been at the level and knows it very, very well. So he's been there before Braintree and he got us out of the conference south in, in his second season back with us. So he, he's got great, great experience and knows and knows what it takes and knows what to look for in a player. And I think I think that's evident in this season. And, and one of the hardest things for us is we're still semi we're still semi-pro technically part-time. So we train three times a week, whereas all these other teams training four or five times a week. So we're competing with full-time teams. So that is difficult. So again, to be 10th for the National League, being a part-time team is a fantastic achievement in itself. And I think people forget that we're part-time because we're in that league. Yeah. Um, What's it so, like working with Devs? You know, because you know, obviously he's a, he's a proper legend. He played for West Ham over 350 times. What's it like working with a man of that stature? So obviously now, because I've been with him for I think five, six years now, um, you, you kind of forget about that in a little, in, not in a disrespectful way, because you've worked with him for so long, you you, you get on well and you, you kind of forget, but when you, you do have chats about it and, and some of the knowledge he comes out with, you can tell he's played at half. Like I said, he played for his country, he won the FA Cup yeah. at West Ham. He, he knows what it takes. He's 
And I'm, I'm very lucky that he gave me the opportunity because when I started at Maitland, I was the youth team manager and I was just doing the goalkeeping coaching because I, I used to be a goalkeeper. That's my background. So they wanted someone and I just said, you know what? I'll do it. Like, do you know what? It might be a foot in, but it just gives me a bit of experience. So I was toying with the idea of going into goalkeeping coaching because I thought it might be quite hard to get into the high levels of like being an assistant manager or a first team coach. So I did goalkeeping coach for two years. And then after I think third season, fourth season, he just said, right, you can be my first team coach this year. And I was like, <laughs> so place right time. But also I like to think that I showed him that I knew what I was on about and I'm worthy to be where I am. But he gave me the opportunity. He didn't have to do that. He only knew me from doing, doing the goalkeeping. So I'm very, very lucky. But to work with him, very knowledgeable, fantastic. I learned a whole new way of playing football. Um, when I when I come up and was brought up playing football, as I'm sure you you might see this day and age, all about passing at the back, yeah. playing football, which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I um, love that style of football. But I started to learn the, the really in-depth ins and outs of, do you know what? Going back to front quickly, not, not long ball hoof ball, but direct football. Getting the other team's half, playing football in their half, why we do that, how we do it, and looking at different ways doing that and I learned so much in the conference south um and a national league playing that way and and I understand why that happened so for me like that knowledge that he's given me is like fantastic and it's, I could can't thank him enough really but he's not wrong there because one of the most decorated managers of all time Jose Mourinho plays that kind of front to back quickly uh, uh, as well so you know like I, I do find it very strange when people do say about there's only one way to, you know there's only one nice way to play or that you know there's only one proper way to play and stuff like that and that that, that that always did wind me up and there's we kind of did a little bit of that this season um obviously some of the pitches we play on yeah um it, it, you can't go and play a Man City type game or, a, you know, you say Dortmund type game and, and play out from the back and stuff. And as much as we'd love to, and as much I'd love to, you know, coach it and stuff like that, there's certain aspects we can coach about it. But sometimes it is simply about getting as quick up at the quick as quick up the field as possible. Yeah. Um, to get the, put the ball up in the back of the net. Cause that's what the game of the game is at the end, you know, and we did want to talk to you about that, but we'll, we'll keep on the Alan, um, Devonshire thing um, is what what so obviously Alan's manager yourself as head coach what what is your roles and responsibilities compared to to Alan so uh, so because we're we're a small team so you kind of have to muck in different jobs when you look at some other clubs they might have people to go and scout do do like analysis of games and do the data so after a game, I'll go home and upload the data to the laptop. So I'll look at all the data from the game. As part of that as well, I'll also do analysis of other teams. So we have um, a, a Scout 7 program where we can just type in a team and watch their last five, six, seven games, whatever it may be, and look at their set pieces, maybe their patterns of play, how, uh, their style of play, danger men, maybe areas of weakness. And um, I'll relate that back to, um, to Dev and we'll, we'll have a chat about where what, what we're thinking or what he thinks we should do and he'll ask us if we agree and things like that so mainly preparation for games training's training's easy i've got i'm, I'm very lucky i work with dev but also work with two great coaches as well um in ryan peters who's played the game um played for brentford and things like that and 
played national league national south most of his career so and he's on his he's a, he's on his a license i think at the moment so it's like to learn from someone that's played the game and coached at a, at a good level i'm lucky that i get to um, bounce ideas of him and we also got another coach called eddie king um who um works he come in last year so it's the second season of us so i've got a good good group around me where where you can really work and bounce ideas of each other and get the to get the training right and get it right for what dev wants and and keeping it high intensity that's the main thing we want our training is high intensity and um, we need yeah. i need to make, we need to make sure that our whatever we've designed or whatever practice we're doing has to involve high intensity um because that's how he wants to play when we when they enter our half the pitch we want to press them as much as okay. we can turn them as quick as we can get up the pitch quick as we can and try and score goals it's all about high intensity um, I'm guessing that would also come into um, into your sort of player recruitment as well. When you look at players, have they got that ability to do exactly what you want them to? Hundred percent. And uh, this is where um, Lee Devonshire comes in. So Alan's son, he's he's our chief scout. So he does a lot of the uh, a lot of the non-league stuff in terms of looking at players and identifying potential targets. Maybe at end of seasons when when we need. Because one thing we have to do most years is rebuild our, our squad because we can't offer three-year contracts, two-year contracts. We're, like I said, we're part-time, so we hopefully we can keep the core of our team and, and, and then build. But if we can't and we have to go looking for players again in this Conference South, whether that may be, or players that might be released from academies, um, we, have, we have to be very good in the transfer market. And I think this year, as a club, we've got it fantastically right. And I think that's proving on the pitch, but it's, it's proven very, very difficult every year when you've got to look for new players. It's a nightmare. You can't ever get that, keep that core together normally, and you yeah. can't progress. And that's one of the hardest things we 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 struggle at Maidenhead. Your your squad has changed a lot since the first season in the conference, hasn't it? Like, it, um, you know, you lost some big players at the time. Pritchard went. Yeah, back Harry forward. Pritchard obviously, who's now, who's now at Bradford. He obviously went to Blackpool. Yeah. Sammy Barrett went to. South End, obviously he's back with us now, um, so he, he's doing really well for us. Dave Sarpy, yeah, I was getting to yeah, broke the conference South goal scoring record. I think he scored seven goals in four games in the first first couple of weeks of the season, and Barnett took him, and unfortunately he got injured quite yeah. early on in his Barnett career and it never really took off. And he's I think he's awoken now. Um, and then you look at Max Kilman, um, yeah, you come in who's now at Wolves, so. Fair play to him. He, he's a fantastic lad. He comes back and does chats to my academy online and stuff and speaks to the academy boys. So fair play to him. He, he, he deserves every success he gets. He's a really down-to-earth guy. And when you lose players like that, of those calibre, um, who have all gone to the league, which is fantastic, if we can push players onto the league, then that's what we want to do. We want, yeah. we want people to progress and develop their careers. But obviously try and do it while they're helping main it along the way. Uh, but we do, we did, we'd have lost a lot of players, you're right. And that's the hardest thing, I think, for us. I know me and Jamie were uh, we were interested to see where where uh, Danny Whitehall would end up because we yeah. know, because he'd been linked with Wickham and that there was a bit of interest there. So to see him go to the SPL was was quite an interesting one, and I think he's just signed a contract extension up there. So that's you know really yeah, good he, league to be fair. To yeah, him. he he done really fantastic for us. Um, Coming that was through um, one of our coaches Eddie Keane who worked with him out in America because that's where Danny was from. Uh, well, not from there, but he went out there to do his football and come back. Um, so, obviously, there's a couple of offers. I don't know who or where from, but he, he said he had a couple of offers. But I think he's gone there as well because 
there's the opportunity to prove yourself. You're playing Soica Rangers. There's games live in skies, and it's probably a good place to put yourself in the shop window, really. Yeah. Um, which he's done it. I know he had a um, ago, he had a good couple of goals um, over a couple of weeks. But I don't know if he's scored recently, but he's got the ability definitely. Um, just need, I just think he needs a bit more of a chance up there. I don't think he's getting a much of a look in as he deserves at the moment. We um, randomly watched you guys at Harrogate Town last year. I think I told you actually. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So we were on our way up. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we were on our way up to um, uh, Middlesbrough versus Tottenham on the Sunday. We went okay. to watch Tottenham, and uh, we fancied a night out before, so we went up on the Saturday. As keen football uh, <laughs> fanatics, we thought, "Oh, let's get a game on the way up." Now, I can tell you now, the choices we had going <laughs> going up the M1 <laughs> was was tough. But we come across you guys. And I said, Rich, let's go and go to Maidenhead End and and um and watch. I didn't think there was a lot between you. I really didn't. Did you, Rich? No, you know, I agree. I felt we started off well that game. We yeah. um but the the goal just knocked the stuffing out of us. It just because mm. we were doing all right, but that goal just it, as you know, goals change change games. And that that day we just couldn't get going. And I, did we get a few sending offs as well? Was that that game? Yeah, two. Two sending yeah, offs. Two. <laughs> Just, just went and yeah. our discipline went, and then yeah, it just got bad to worse, really. <laughs> the ref went the greatest, to be fair to you. <laughs> I'll try and refrain from standing a refereeing, but they get they have a hard job. They have a hard job. Yeah. They don't help themselves. That's all I'm going to say. They don't help themselves. That's pretty evident over the last few days, unfortunately, <laughs> in the Premier League. Exactly that. I think this is too much pressure. I, I agree. Even when you go down to National League level or lower, the best refs that I find are the ones that talk to you. Yes. And there's too many refs that don't want to have a conversation and they just want to blow their whistle my my way. And do you know what? Look, that's the way of refing. Fine. For me, it's not the correct way. Yeah. I think you should... I think uh, it's nothing wrong with talking and explaining decisions. If you explain it, 99% of the players will be happy. They might not be happy with the decision, but at least they'll be happy you explained it. There's that um, there's that video going viral at the moment. I think BT Sport put it out today of the Australian yeah. guy that's coming over to the championship. Well, he already has. I don't know. But the, the way they was talking to the players and stuff like that, um, you can see the respect they had. They accepted the decisions. To be honest, it might have been because they knew they were mic'd up, to be honest. but uh, or knew they, <laughs> Which, why don't we do that? I don't think it's a bad you idea. Know, the players will probably go, you know, you'll get a lot more scrutiny. If you if they go off on one in front of a ref that's mic'd up and you'll go, well done, you can't talk to him like that. Talk to him like a human being. Um, the one thing I always did, I'm going off of course here, when I, when I played, when I was a young lad, I was not good. I wasn't a very nice ref, so I think I was more ego and arrogant. I think it was arrogance and stuff like that. And um, as I got older, the one thing I started to do was have a chat with the ref before the game. I was captain a lot of the time and I'd just have a chat in the centre circle and, and, you know, and and just try and get to know him a little bit and talk to him about other stuff. And then as the game went on, just keep chatting to him and walk past him, have a little joke with him and stuff like that. And you tend to uh, get a little bit of a different ref sometimes when you... Yeah, no, you do. When you, when you treat them, it's not just a referee, but as a, as a you know, just a normal guy. Um, so sometimes it can be both ways, I think. And 
Uh, yeah, no, we've gone a bit off course here with the referee job, but um, so let, let, let's go back to um, this year and what was your sort of hopes for this year? Was it just simply to do better than the previous campaign? Yeah, we didn't we didn't have a good season last year and um, third or fourth at bottom, we stayed up yeah. points per game. It, it wasn't a good season. We started off really well, though. We obviously got a 1-0 win away at Stockport, Lava BT, and then we had a really good run of games and then it just fizzled out and it just got, I don't know, we couldn't put our finger on it. We, we knew it was a balance of the squad and trying to get the team selection right. We knew it was down to that, but it just, we could never get going. Uh, we, we we played well in some games, end up losing 1-0 or 2-1 against, against the run of play and it just, we weren't getting the rub of the green. But this year, the remit is, first of all, can we, we want to stay up. Um, we're a part-time team, we're in the National League, we want to stay up, as simple as that. And once we've hit 45 50 point mark then we start going right what's next um yeah what we so we set ourselves like little targets and we didn't really, we didn't really set a points target it's more of just right we want to stay up make sure we're in a good position and you know when you're in a good position and you're not going to go down um so we'll, we'll re- like i don't tend to look at league table till after christmas um, okay. normally I, I think that when you get to christmas you then start to see right that's where you're going to roughly be um hopefully anyway um for us so but yeah we're happy where we are and there's you're actually spot on do better than we did last year we are at the moment um but we're not going to rest we want to keep going i think that's really important we, it's very easy to go do you know what we're doing a lot better than last year we only need x amount to stay up but we don't want to think like that we just want to keep going i know it sounds like old cliche game by game yeah um but that that is it and when you're in that like, when you're in a league of teams that wreck some knots county and stuff like chesterfield like if you look at who's bottom of the league, like yeah, madness. Yeah, yeah. Like, at the beginning of the season, no one would believed you. So I just wanted to rewind a bit. Sorry, Jambo. I wanted to yeah, rewind and let's just go back a bit um, yeah. and sort of talk where where you sort of started. Uh, for those that don't know, um, and just sort of you know, just a bit of a story of how you've ended up where you are. Yes, yeah, so I think as I said to you earlier before we started, I said about we I started coaching my old junior team just because I wanted to give something back that, that I played football when I was younger there. So mainly boys and girls in my junior team. So I started coaching there for a little bit. And then my old manager who used to run my 16 team when I was 15, he was going to get the go for the Burnham under 18 job at Ally Counties. And he asked me if I wanted to be assistant. So I said, yeah, do you know what? Fantastic. Start my coaching career at that level and see where it goes. We went to the meeting um, and they didn't have a reserve team manager at the time. So they, t- they asked um, Dave Knight, who's the guy that brought me across, said, well, do you want to be a reserve team manager? And they asked me if I want to be the youth team manager. So I kind of got it by luck, by default. Um, but I took it. It's an opportunity. I saw it and I grasped it. And I was there for five seasons. And then in that time, I I coached the reserves for a little bit under um, Mervyn Day, who's um, who in and out of Burnham for a qu- quite, a, quite a while. He, he's a well known around there. So yeah. I coached them for a bit. We won Hellenic Division East 2. We had a reserve team, so we wanted to put it in and try and work it up. So we got to Div 1. And after a year in Div 1, obviously, the reserves disbanded due to money at the club, as I'm sure you, it's been well documented um, yeah. before now about the money troubles Burnham had. So I was there. Did a bit of coaching for the first team under Martin Stone um, when they won the league as well. So it was quite, it was quite, a, quite a successful time at Burnham in the, the middle of my five years. It was very successful, those promotions, and they were in the Southern, they got into the Southern Prem. Um, so to see them where they are now, it's very unfortunate. So I think we were, were six in the Southern Prem at one stage. 
then the money went um, and I actually didn't end up playing three games because we had no players. <laughs> I had to play all the way at St. Neots. Uh, we lost 4-2. <laughs> um, I, 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 then I had to come on right midfield in a game because I was the only fit sub they had. Um, our right midfielder done his hamstring and I was, I was just thinking about it getting tired. <laughs> um, ended up playing right mid for a game, and that that was the struggles we were having that season. It was just no players changing all the time, no money, and in the end, we stayed up by like a point, I think it was. So did ridiculous. you ever? Really sorry, good. sorry, Aaron. Did you? Was that Ryan Bird at that? That was yeah, he there? At that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I think I come and watched a game once. I think that's when he was scoring. He scored three yeah. in a row, I think, at one stage. Um, did he go straight to Pompey? He went, yeah, he went to Pompey from there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, scored some goals there. Then went low to Cambridge, and he, he had a good career in the end, Birdie, because he started off as a centre half. Yeah, <laughs> that's where he was playing. Well, he was playing until the league had tailed, but he was playing centre half for Slough this season for a bit as well. Um, oh, so he went back to his old position. But yeah, Birdie was there. Ryan Upwood was there, who's obviously at Maidenhead. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Um, so a few of the players obviously crossed crossed past him again at, at Maidenhead. But Burnham was. A real big learning experience because, like I said to you guys earlier, I was 19 coaching under 18, so that was quite difficult. And they didn't know my age till probably towards the end of the season. But by then, it didn't matter because they can't. I like to think they knew what I was on about, and they thought, you know what, he, he's good at what he does. So we had, I had a good time. And they really enjoyed doing the under 18s, and then doing the reserves and a bit of first team. I was a bit of an odd body. Excuse me, doing bits for first team and reserves. But while I was doing that, I was also coaching Maynard United ladies. I did that for about two, three seasons, I think it was. I just wanted to try something different and yeah. there's nothing else to do on Sunday. And I thought, you know what, well, I get involved in some more football and do football weekend. And that that's a very, very different culture, I'd say. Men's and women's football, different, but enjoyable. R- really, really enjoyed it. And um, fantastic bunch of ladies that I was, I was fortunate to coach. Um, and... They keep you on your toes and you, you have to think about how you coach as well because how you coach under 18s and men is completely different to how you coach women. So I like to think it made me a, a, a lot better coach because I had to evaluate my coaching a lot more and how I do things. So that was, that was a big learning curve, which one I really, really enjoyed. Um, and then from Burnham, I then went to Maidenhead where I ran the under 18s of Aaron Stedman. Yeah. Um, we did that for I remember you. managing against you, Aaron. <laughs> a long time ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. I'm yeah. old now. I'm 31 now. That was a long time ago. So I've been coaching really for ten, t- over 10 years. Um, but yeah, no, I was with Aaron for, I think, two seasons. And then um, I've got after two seasons, I was doing the first team role at Maidenhead. As I said earlier, I think um, they needed a goalkeeping coach. And I just said, do you know what? I'll do it because my best mate was assistant manager at the time, Sam Locke, yeah. who was a manager at Bracknell like, recently. Um, and I said, I'll do the goalkeeping coaching, not a problem. So I did that for two years and then ended up just by being there, working my way in and hopefully showing the gaffer what I know and he can trust me and I know what I'm doing. I then got offered the first team coaching role and been doing that ever since. And then um, that's where I am now. So kind of fortunate how I started my coaching journey off. Um, maybe a little bit fortunate into the way I got into Maidenhead in terms of goalkeeping coaching and work away up. But I think you you just got to look at the opportunity and take it at both hands. And I think that's what I've done. Yes, it's a bit of right place, right time, but mm. I've not just walked into it and it's happened. I've, I've worked hard to get there and um, show everyone what I'm about. And hopefully um, 
and all the players and everyone I've worked with can say the same thing. Um, I'm not, don't get it wrong. There's loads I don't know, and I'm always learning. And that's one of the always best learning. Hundred percent. One of the best things and one of the luckiest things to work with Dev and the coaching staff that made Ned. I'm always learning. We always have good chats and good conversations. And even when we go into the academy stuff later, I'm very fortunate to have some great coaches there, and yeah. um, they keep you on your toes. And and I said I'm always learning. That's the best thing you can do, I think, as a coach. One one thing you you said is uh, that you were sort of maybe very lucky, or or you you know you, you were there at the right time. Sorry. Um, yeah. The one thing I've always said, and we've probably repeated it a lot in these podcasts, Rich, is taking chances. Taking chances. When that chance comes along, is take it. Whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, scout, anything like that is taking that chance. And, and I always, it's one of the big things in football for me. And, and it can be from any, you know, it's just taking chances when, when it comes along um, and grabbing it by the horns and going for it. And, you've done that because you had, you got given a chance, you've taken it and look where you are now. I mean, 31 years of age. Oh, I ain't going to lie to you, mate. I didn't know you were 31. <laughs> <laughs> 31 and that's the teacher. That's the teacher does that to me. But like, I, I, I'm, I am fortunate. And if you said to me, when I first joined Maiden, in five years time, you'd be working with the first team, running the academy. And I said, you're talking absolute rubbish and nonsense. Mm. Um, but things in football, can happen quick and things can change quickly and you're absolutely spot on about taking chances I could have said about that goalkeeping coaching when I got asked no nah, I'm not doing that because it was a Tuesday night away in Bath was the first game and I got asked to do it and I was like Bath Tuesday night it was on half term <laughs> it, was, it was half term at the time so I thought do you know what what else am I going to be doing just go and do it yeah. and then literally from that it, it went on and, and, and that's what if that's one thing I can tell other coaches and other young aspiring coaches is take these little opportunities it, like I, didn't, I didn't get paid for that night, but it, it was a learning curve and I got, I got my foot in the door. And sometimes I think you've got to do these things for free and volunteer here and there. And I get everyone's circumstances different, so you can't always do that. But I think that's, sometimes that's just the way you start and that's the way in. And, and that's what I've done. You just got to take those little opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm quite young. I'm 33, but I, I stopped playing football at 27 and went straight mm-hmm. into sort of management um i was uh, an assistant manager for risborough rangers reserves um and and i learned off of my then manager uh james tovey um and and then sort of moved on and i, I stayed with the resis for a bit and then and um it i found the first year difficult because i think going back to your whole 18 19 i was 27 so some of the lads were the same age or they knew me really well so it, it was quite hard to get that respect really early from mm-hmm. them, even though I'd played with them. But to then start sort of, you know, controlling training sessions and stuff like that was was quite, I always found quite difficult in the first year. But you then, I then gained, you know, some respect. Yes. But then there was, you know, there was a little case sometimes with the first team where potentially the first team manager's not there. And I, I, I was asked to go and run the first team for a game over at Bulldog Town. Um, with, with with Nick Young at the time, and we went there, and I don't think we were in the greatest of form as first team, and and Bulldog were flying. Yeah, one of your players was playing for him that day. Who's you guess who? Bull, uh, what Bulldog or, or for, for you? Uh, for Bulldog, for Bulldog. Oh, uh, not Josh Coley. Yeah, 
Josh Coley. Josh Coley was playing that day, um, and uh, he tore us apart. Uh, but <laughs> um, we got we went we come back with a I think we come back with a nil nil draw. The way we set up, me and Youngy ran it as as we were running it, and we took a chance and, and we got a really good result. And I think they went on to have a you know I went back to Resi's and that for, yeah. after that game, but just just took a chance and I gained so much experience. I may not have got something from that, but what I got personally from it 100%. was a lot. And, and and the respect I was shown by the first team players as well that day was was fantastic and I loved it and um and able to go into their change room and you know and, and talk in front of them pre-match post-match half time that type of thing was was great as well and again I was only what 29 maybe something like that so um and and, and now where I am today as a as a head coach of a of a, all right, a step seven side in the Spartan um I was joint manager at the start of the season um uh, but I felt that it potentially was a little bit too early for me to to go straight into management. And I decided to take a little bit of a step back and continue to learn from someone a lot more experienced than me. Um, and again, still very young. So I'm happy to 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 keep learning and, and go on and on. I've got years ahead of me in football. 100%. So, 100%. So, so it's just going back to that always learning and you will continue to learn. There's podcasts I listen to that I'm hearing stuff like today, um, listen, listen to a podcast where it was I'm just going, wow, I didn't know that. And you now start taking those sort of things on board. So yeah, I completely agree about that. Always learning, taking chances. Um one thing I do want to talk about is the is the is the the, the women's team actually. Yeah. Um, one thing I've always heard it is completely different managing a women's team to a to a men's team, and and obviously how you coach them and how you manage them as well. What 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 did you find that was different? I I, I think they're easier to coach. They're very receptive in terms of when you try and tell them to do something, they'll pretty much try and do that straight away. Um, and I th- one of the biggest things is probably the terminology and language you use, because as you know, when you coach sometimes <laughs> slip of the tongue or how you might shout at certain players, you know, some players might either arm around them or kick at the backside. And for instance, I've got a player in my academy that I know if I ever go at him in the first 15 minutes, he'll get angry and start playing well. <laughs> and that, that's everyone's different sometimes it takes someone to kick at the backside to get you going um, but with the women it's very different um, in terms of how you speak to them how they might take that and that's just that's just a different game that's just that's just who they are and yeah and, but it made me a better coach in terms of thinking right well actually I need to think about how I say things am I saying it clear enough because obviously I wasn't whereas some of the stuff I maybe say at a men's game or academy game, they might get it straight away. Whereas the women, I might have to go into a bit more detail. So actually as a coach, I'm testing myself and they're testing me because I've got to go into even more detail to make sure they get it. So that was one of the biggest things, some of the biggest differences. And that just made me a better coach. Uh, um, yeah. Again, you're going to learn from that. Um, and it's we're not saying obviously you, it's just because it's a different standard of player because that's and I can completely understand that where you've gone like you say you can coach someone from maidenhead first team to an academy to women's there's going to be different standards of players and they're not always going to get stuff straight away and I've learned that over the years that no matter what even if they're a 17 year old to a 25 year old some players take on instructions or or whatever better than others even at, at, at different talents um, and also one thing I did have learned is 
it's not always um, easy to get your point across just by words um, with some players. Some players like um, a, a visual for it. And I think I read something. I, now, I could get this completely wrong, but I have <laughs> read somewhere that Arjun Robben was a little bit like that in terms of, it could have been Frank Ribery. Now, I do apologise <laughs> to both of them, but it, it, was, it was in Pep's book. And he was saying he always found it hard to talk to one of them whereas one of them had to be shown visuals of what he was trying to get across to them. So even at that sort of standard, there's there's different ways of talking to people and, and coaching people, isn't there? Do you have that as well at the moment? Or? 100%. So even if you, you just touch back on the, the ladies team there, like at the moment they've got Nev Soroya as manager who used to play May Ned and, and I think Hayes and things like that. So he's there now and I know he's done a fantastic job there. He, he does a lot of analysis with them and from watching games over the last couple of seasons and to recently, you can see the improvement tenfold. And I, and I imagine a lot of that is down to analysis for them because they started to get their games recorded. And it's one of the biggest tools we use at the academy. Um, we have a VO setup. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so, so it's fantastic. And um, the boys and, and, and the girls at our academy, they absolutely love it because they can see where they're going wrong. And, and visually... 100%. I probably think 90% of footballers now are visual learners. They and they mm. want to be shown. And if you can get clips and show them, fantastic. Um, they're going to learn. They're going to progress straight away. And I think that's a really big development in the game is the the level of software that's available now to all different levels. Like most mm. most step seven six five teams that I see now have VO, which is brilliant. Um, We've had a few teams come over and say, "Can we set it up?" like you know to, to film the game and I said as long as you give me the tape oh, no but uh, <laughs> I never I still never got the tape from, from a certain <laughs> team but um we had a few games recorded last year whether it, or if it, we went away to Welling Garden City under 23s and a friendly and they recorded the game I managed to get the tape off them and the amount of our amount of players saying can I get a copy can I get a copy or you know can you show us my bits and stuff like that just work wonders and we could see certain areas of what was good and what what wasn't great and we could sort of learn a little bit about because we're a brand new team put it this at the start of the season Tring had lost all their players yeah we've had to create a whole squad from new obviously we've got a bit few contacts we brought quite a few in but yeah it, it is a brand new squad there is not is there one player two two players two. possibly that were there last season out of 20. So it was, and we did trials and stuff. So we were looking at new lads and stuff. And, and just watching the game, we managed to look at one player and go, wow, can you see that in him? And that's something I haven't noticed before. And we've, we were able to watch and 100%. having that analysis at our level even works as well. You know, it, it's not always something that you can see straight away. And it's something the chairman hasn't allowed me to get yet. I'm still plugging it. No, it's, um, it's a fantastic <laughs> tool. And I, I, just going back to that analysis, and when you, you'll know it, when you're on the sideline watching games, everything happens quickly. Yeah. So you, you won't, everyone knows, you don't take all that information in. So, like, when a goal goes in, we'll have an inquest straight away. What happens? Yeah. And then sometimes you'll, you'll get two different answers from me and, and the assistant manager or me and another player on the bench. And I go, oh, no, that didn't happen. And and, and that's how that's why it's needed, though, is because things happen so quickly and you do miss things. 
when people see, <laughs> see the game differently. So it's, I think it's vital at every level. And I, I think you've got to find that fine balance the lower you go down there because you don't want to do death by analysis because no. it's part-time and it you don't, and players do want to play football, but there is an element of, do you know what? It can be useful. Like you just gave a perfect example. Yeah. And, um, hopefully you get a sponsor now. Going back to that inquest, I think there's times where I've maybe said to Andy, he's gone, who got the assist on that? <laughs> we both come up with two different people. Because like you say, it, got, it happens so quick sometimes. You're like, oh, I think it was Jake. And you just... <laughs> yeah, it, 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 he was nowhere near it. No. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, some people don't understand. You know, football moves quick and some, you can't catch everything all the time. Um, especially when you're writing something down and you go and miss a goal. <laughs> I've done that before. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's, let's move on to the academy side of things at, at Maidenhead United. Um, and, and if you could just talk us a little bit through what you do currently... And, and obviously how you got into it. So I, I, I recently did, well, not recently, about five, six years ago, oh God. Um, I did my teacher training at Reading Uni. And I just I just got my teaching qualification. So I was, um, I went for a job at um, BCA, Berkshire College. Oh, yeah. And that's where Maiden Academy was just starting up. I didn't get the job and I was like, okay, fair enough. So I went to do supply teaching and is carrying on teaching and I've got a phone call basically saying the job's come back up again you did really well in your interview last time do you want the job and I was like yep yeah, no brainer done because I just started at Maiden at the time I was like it's perfect so uh, went in there started the academy and I, I kid you not when I walked in there we had nothing <laughs> it, it was purely whatever happened before that it was hardly any balls hardly any bibs hardly any cones it was just a shambles I think I had like it, it, yeah, it, was, it was a bad place to be and I looked back at it and gone, why have I done this there and then I was like what have I done um, but do you know what a bit of hard work and some great coaches and some great people around me at the college and the academy we've really flourished over the last five years and recently we've gained the, the National League Academy status um, which, which we have to go by strict criteria that the National League has set out. And if we don't do a certain thing or we're not linking to the criteria they want, um, we can lose our status. And, it's, and for us, it's a very important part of who we are as an academy to, to have that accreditation. Because I'm mm. sure, as you know, there's a lot of these football so-called academies out there. And, it's, and I don't want to too much I'll lose my head. Um, <laughs> they don't have any criteria or anything to say yes you are an academy or yes you are this they do, they call themselves an academy and they say they are they have scholars scholars and they offer scholarships it's like well you don't because you don't give everything for free you're not mm-hmm. a category one two or three academy but at least i can say at maiden we're working towards something and we, we've had we were a national league academy links into where the first team is at the national league and eventually i want to grow it to to be a category three academy or, or whatever but at the moment i'm happy where it's at um but it, it does bug me where these i think these pop-up academies i call them yeah um and and they sell dreams a lot of the time and and yet there's a lot of problems i've come across for young players that have been told this that and the other and it just ruins their football for two years. Yeah. Uh, and, and it yeah. really, it really winds me up. Like one thing at Maidenhead, I say to every player that comes in, I say, some of you will be nowhere near Maidenhead level, but I'll find the level for you. Wherever, wherever that is at, 
I will try and help you achieve that and see what I can do to push you forward. And some of you will be able, will be good enough to knock on the door. Um, and if you're good enough, you'll get the opportunity to go and train with the first team and showcase your talent. And if you've got the ability, you'll get signed. But one thing I'll never prom- do is promise a player anything because I don't want to sell dreams. I think these pop-up academies tend to go to the player's head, um, especially at our level. And the player's heads. Big time. Uh, The amount of times I've had a player come to me, oh, I've been at this academy. I've been at that academy. And um, they come with this huge ego. And they step on the pitch and they ain't no much better than my players. And I feel like, what have you done for two years? The one that I get a lot from academies is goalkeepers. Right. And when I get these goalkeepers come across, I often can't... <laughs> this is going to sound really harsh, to be honest, but a lot of them are better with their feet than their hands. Yeah. And That's the changing game, unfortunately, isn't it? And, and this is something I was going to say to you. They might be good at clipping the ball 20 yards because they're passed to their fullback, but if you want them to kick it 70 yards... They can't do it. A lot of them can't do it. So if you if you're if we so for example if we're looking for a goalkeeper at national league level for mate for Alan Devonshire's side, we want a goalkeeper to kick accurately up the pitch. So if you if you can't do that, then you're not going to play in our team. I could count on two hands the amount of keepers that I've seen that can't clip it up past the halfway line, and I'm like, just. It just seems like they go past the basics sometimes mm-hmm. and they try and make it look so fancy with these sort of academies. And I, I, me and Andy have always been a stern believer. We'll, we'll judge a player on what what they do at training or, or in a trial rather than who they've come from. Yeah. Because it does go to their heads. They get these tracksuits that they pay for. <laughs> um, and... Um, and you know, and, and look, I'm not knocking lads for doing it. You know, go and play football. This is what we want lads to do, to go and play football oh, wherever they can and stuff like that. We're, we're not knocking that. But no. what we're saying is, you know, just, you know, obviously be careful with these these pop-up academies, like you say. And and yeah. there are proper academies out there. Well, I shouldn't say that. But there, there are, you know, uh, uh, national level academies that will... will where you can go and have a go. And, and if you aren't at the standard, just try again. And there's another one around the corner. And... That's it. You'll find your level. And I think, I think yeah. that's the thing with, and, I, and it's not, a, it's not a knock at the kids. It's a, yeah. a knock at the kids that set up these so-called academies and, and how they spin it and what they do. Like I, I see some advertised going, Oh, we we'll, we have games against professional academies. We, we have scouts come watch our games. And I'm like, what? So what? Scouts watch all the games. They go to exactly. those different games and half the time they don't tell you they're coming anyway. Um, yeah. And if they do, if I get told a scout's coming, I never tell my players because no. that's the last thing you want to do. Um, and and it's, so it's not, not it's, it's, probably, it's probably more unfair on the players and the young, the young 16, 17, 15 year olds who ever go into these academies because it's not their fault to an extent because they're getting it's on a different way to them and they're getting sold a dream, so to speak. Um, because they're none the wiser. So if I could, I'd try and educate all children about the options and what it what it entails and, and how it actually works and what the system is. Because um, at least I know with our one, it's rubber stamped and we, we have to do things a certain way. Otherwise, we're, we're, not, we're not a National League Academy and that's a big thing for us. And 
for instance, we have to do three player reviews a year um, at National League level, our academy, and we have to evidence that. I have to do staff appraisals, CPD. We have to have certain coaching curriculum. We've got to show our coach curriculum across the year. So we've got, we got, we got loads of some of the things we have to do, and that's just a few of them, just to even get that, that National League Academy badge. Um, so it's not, it's not just a one thing you can do overnight. I think it took, took me and my team six, seven months to, to set up and prepare for. So it's quite a strenuous thing to, to work towards to, to get that academy status. Are there any lads coming through that, that, that might be close, Aaron? So we have, we've had a few over the last couple of years. So we had a, we had Brad Keach who come on the other night. He's played a few games for the first team. He's in his second contract with the club. So he come through our academy. He got released from Reading when he was 15, come to us and then worked his way in. He's now playing national league level. We had a lad last year called Reece Smith. Um, he won't mind me saying this, but he was part of our under 16 team. So he's come through 16s. And when he joined the academy, if you would have said, yeah, he's good. He's a good player. If you said to me in two, three years' time, he'd got a contract with the first team and been on the bench in games in the National League, I'd have said, mm, don't think so. But again, that's testament to the character and the player he is and how hard he's worked. And we, we provide him with the right environment to allow him to, to develop into a good player he is now. And, and this year, it's been a bit hard because of COVID and the amount of training these young players have missed out on. It, it's going to be really hard for this, well, the last two years. So, because it's been a t- two seasons, really, hasn't it? Mm. So, mm. it's going to really affect the development of our players. But we've got a young goalie called Fred Chapman, who's been in and out of the first team. He's recently come back from an injury. He went and played for England Colleges um, national team. And Jatepo, um, who actually lives in Aylesbury, funny enough. Um, oh, right. he, He's with us, and he's um, he's been tra- he had been trained with the first team, and and doing really well with us. But obviously, with COVID, we've got to try and restrict the amount of people we have in the camp for training and stuff. So it's been really hard to try and push those players on at the moment. But he, I would say, he's one that's got potential, but it's obviously really difficult in this current climate. Um, so yeah, it's just really difficult for us to get the young players into the first team, which is with everything going on COVID. So it's just going to affect the development. But all we can do as soon as it's over is getting them back in. Hopefully their development hasn't been affected too much with everything that's going on for the last um, year. Good stuff. Just on on the sort of coaching, Aaron, um, you know, we'll have some coaches listening to this that work in non-league. Um, what sort of things do you work on in training? Have you got any sort of tips for these sort of young coaches in, in, in the non-league game? And even for people like Jamie, you know? Yeah, no problem. So with the academy, it's a lot of game-related stuff because when they're when they're working up the grassroots seven to sixteen, obviously it's a lot more technical-based and, and and looking at um, just like tactics and angles and passes and formations. They learn them as they get older, but when they get to us, it's the game understanding. So when when there's two minutes to go and it's one nil, you're not um, trying to score another goal. You're just looking to see the game out and just little things like that. And game positioning is the biggest thing for me as well with, um, in relation to the ball. Uh, when we get a lot of players that come to us at the six, yeah, the 16s, they, their understanding of the game and where they should be on the pitch to the ball is a big thing for us. And um, that's one thing we really heavily focus on in the first um, like couple of months they're with us. But in terms of the first team, it's more um, tactical and, and just trying to nullify the, other, the opposition. So whether we're coming up a team that's got a really good number 10, it's like, well, are we going to deploy someone that's going to man-mark him? Are we going to play with the one sitting this week because they've only got that one so they can take care of each other? 
Or if they don't play with a, a, a number 10, do we, what do we do? Do we go 4-4-2 because there's not going to be anyone in them, in them half spaces and stuff. So each game's different and, and, and maybe you might change your personnel. But when it's this year, it's been Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, no game for a month. It's been so hard. But all we can do is focus on their danger, but not come away too much from ourselves and what we do really well because we if you, you start focusing on the position too much you, you start to go away from what you're really good at and then it can affect your game the other way so it's finding that fine balance and I think I think sometimes managers and coaches will focus too much on what the other team are doing and I've done that in the past and you look at it and go actually if I stuck to my values and my team and actually focused on more my team with the ball it might have been a different outcome so it's just finding that, that fine balance is the biggest thing for me yeah just going back to something you said um about the whole sort of like game management, um, sort of like like decision making. Obviously, the lower you go down, that sounds really bad. But the lower you go down, that becomes so much more clear. Even at our level, like like you see players that don't quite have that sort of game management, that sort of experience. Little things like like sort of like like calling for fouls, things like that, throw-ins, calling for that sort of stuff. They they just leave it and. Those little fine things, yeah, can make a massive difference. Absolutely. And and you, I don't think you can teach that. Sometimes it's if you either have the football brain or you don't. Like we mentioned earlier, Brad Keach, his awareness and football understanding and his vision and his brain and how it works, he sees pictures really, really quick and easy. And sometimes that can lead to misplaced passes or things not going well, but that's because the other players aren't on his wavelength. And I think sometimes you can't teach that. They can be really good on the ball, um, great finisher, whatever it may be, their strength, but they don't understand the game into relation where you are on the pitch and what, what's required, what movement's needed. That It's going to be really hard for them to step up the level. So you're absolutely spot on. The game management and, and the actual football knowledge and the football and brain, as I call it, it, it is so hard to teach. And it, it, it does get better with training and playing all the time. But you know, you're, you know you've seen it before. You play against the play and you'll go... Pfft. He knows the game. He can see pictures. He's a good player. And you think, wow. And, and that's the biggest difference. And I think that's what takes you up the levels, the understanding of the game. Because if you're not the quickest, you need to be good positionally and the best and really good on the ball. And your footballing brain will get you those positions. And, and that's what can help you go up, the, go up the ladder. So when it comes to, say, training and you are working on on specific things, do, do, do your training sessions change from you know, week to week or or is there always some sort of fundamental things that you do each week to work on? Like you say, you don't, you, there's that fine balance of going away from what you're doing and what the opposition are doing. Something yeah. that I think coaches are, you know, especially at my level will probably find tough. They're either going far too one way or far too other way than I. And I know I've done that in like you say, we've all done that sort yeah. of thing where we've gone maybe for a couple of weeks we've gone, oh, we've been focusing too much on the opposition. Let's go back to the things focusing on us. So is do, do you change do your training sessions change from from each session or or are there things that you continue to work on? Yeah, so with, with the academy, we very much work on the defensive shape without possession first. That's the one of the first things we focus on in the first six weeks. Um, and the reason for that is every player that comes to us, they're always coached on how to get on the ball, playing at the back, scoring goals. Very rarely when they come to us, they're coached in without the ball. 
And that's one of the biggest things we struggle with in terms of the academy. So we focus on that. And then once we've played three, four games and then we see what we, we, we analyse the games back, see where if there's common themes. And what we'll do is we'll analyse a game and we'll try and find two main themes that we were struggling with or that's not gone right. And then we'll focus those two themes on our next block of training sessions for the academy. And then we'll, and we'll work that. Because if you pick too many out, you're going to be trying to, on Monday you're doing this, Wednesday you're doing that. You're never going to get better. They've got to have time specifically looking at, at certain aspects of that game that's that they've been bad at, so to speak. So in terms of the academy, that's what we do. In the first team, it's a bit more difficult because every week it's new formations. Um, you might change your face. You might get an injury. You might get suspensions. And because the game's more physical, more quick, and there's more games compared to the academy, so there's more changes and more variables. So it's a lot more difficult. But we, t- I think, in our training, we tend to focus on more about what we're going to do, and then the and then we'll give the players information about the other team and what, what we're going to do to stop it. But in training, when we're actually physically doing it, it's more about us and what we're doing and how we're going to go in, into that game, and this is how we're going to do it. So for the first team, more focused on us. Um, and I say academy. Uh, probably 50-50, we do tend to yeah. on that, the other side. Some, something I did quite early, because obviously we're quite a young team, was the off-the-ball stuff and, and was shape and, and where you know where to be in, in, in certain positions when, when the ball's in certain positions of the pitch. So, yeah, I can completely understand that because, you know, a lot of these lads have played in sort of academies and, you know, and stuff like that. So they are good with the ball they know what they're doing with the ball it's just that off the ball stuff that they need to learn so yeah that is something that I introduced quite early actually something that we we can continue to do because like you say they're not at the level of your academy so you know they just need to keep learning it um with regards to obviously your Saturday Tuesday a lot at the moment yeah does that mean that um you have more recovery sessions than you would normally do so does that does that hamper you working on things? Yeah, so obviously normal season we'd train Monday, Tuesday mornings and then Thursday evenings because we're still only part-time in the National League. So, yeah. But now going from this Saturday, we are Saturday, apart from next week, it's just Good Friday and Bank Week Monday, so we're playing Friday, Monday, so our training schedule's changed slightly. But apart from that, it is Saturday, Tuesday. So we're only going to be training Monday, which will be light and recovery. So you can't really do a lot because you're recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to get them injured because we've got a small squad as it is. Um, so we're going to get injuries, going to get suspensions. So we're going to have to look after them. And then you train on a Thursday night because uh, that's our night session. And again, you don't want to do too much because of the workload and the players and, it's, and the travelling we have to do. Like we're still we're supposed to go to Dover soon. Obviously, they're not playing their games, but we've got trips to Hartlepool, Kings Lynn still to come. Um, so we still Yeovil, still got a bit of travelling to do. So you add that in as well recovery is very important and to be yeah. fair our players are very good at doing it themselves on Sundays because like I said we're still part-time we do a bit on the Monday with them um, but there's still that ownership where they, they've got to do it properly on Sundays we'll do as much as we can in the games and after the games recovery but mm. they, they've got to do it but it does hinder you because you want to get that extra day on the on the pitch with them and, and training but you just this season it's just impossible just yeah. on the part-time thing Aaron uh, yeah, uh, you mentioned that you train Monday, Tuesday mornings yeah. Do you, have, do you have many players miss that because of work? So we we have um, a couple of players that, that do the Monday and, and don't do the Tuesday. But what, what happens this? So for me, I can't do the Monday because of my work um, with my teaching and my coaching with the academy. So I'm in Tuesdays and then in Thursday nights. 
So what happens is any players that can't make the, the Tuesday daytimes, they're with, they're with me in the evening. So we'll do okay. a session on Tuesday evening to make up that time. So we're sort of trying to keep everyone on the same level of training and fitness to make sure that no one's missing out. But we have a couple. Um, sometimes they can make it, sometimes they can't. It's just what we've got to work with their, with their jobs and that, that, what the world we're living in at the moment is just very difficult, but mm. a couple miss out, yeah. Just want to go back to the recovery thing um, because uh, obviously we're about to, well, coming up, we're about to start what's called like a mini cup. Um, but the the time from when we're allowed, to, so we're going to start on the 20, on the 30th of March training session. Yeah. To the point we're going to be playing physical games from the 10th. I know what you're thinking already and I spoke to certain people already about it. It's a bit madness, right? Because like we haven't played since October thirty first. No, they've not played any football. So what I've been asking coaches is, what you know, you want it to come back and you want them to just go out and play football in that first session. You know, get ball yeah. and feet, stuff like that. But there's got to be some sort of S and C stuff involved to to prepare them for the games coming up. Which would, would you say? I mean, so with regards to your recovery, what what's What's actually involved with those recovery sessions um, when when you're when you're doing them? Well, I think before, like even before training sessions or anything you do, even before games, we do a lot of activation now. So yeah. obviously, you know, band work and stuff. And I think that's going to be really important for anyone going back um, to football in the next couple of weeks is the activation and just making sure everything's ready to go and firing because. We started doing it. It's quite a new thing in football, really. We started doing it three four, three years ago at Maidenhead. Um, and we do a lot of SAQs and, and a lot of turning and um, hurdles and everything, just to get them going, because you want you want to replicate as many football movements as you can mm. before you start playing, uh, whether that's without a ball or with a ball. So first thing I'd say is make sure you're doing loads of those, because... The problem you're going to have when you go back is if they're not activating, the pitches might be starting to get drier now. They're not their strength in their ankles or knees ain't going to be as strong. They might land funny because their body's not used to it. So it's about making sure you repeat as many movements as you can. Also, yeah. there's expertise in that area, but from what I've seen and everything that's gone in football that I've seen, I think that's the most important part. And, and you know, it's like after games and after sessions. Some some teams, some players spend, what, three, four minutes on a cool down, little jog, little stretch. And, and I think that's going to be the most important part, making sure you actually spend a good 20 minutes on a cool down, leading it properly, doing your statics properly, and not just doing three minutes and sacking it off. I think that's going to be one of the most important things for any team coming back and starting that in training straight away. And then in terms of the matches, if it was me, I'd be giving players 40, 45 minutes, doing half yeah. only to start with. And then build it up um, because if not if some some players you know they're really fit they probably come back do 80, 90, not a problem. But most players I think will need to be eased back in, and whether that's a half and a half, I think that's probably the best way to go about it. Hundred percent. My my big worry is injuries. Um, yeah. It's been in the back of my mind ever since I sort of got the schedule. So I'm trying to do a training schedule as it is, um, and obviously we want them to get them sort of football fit but at the same time I don't want those injuries I'd rather look at next season yeah you know rather than having someone injured that's you know nightmare you know um we did so yeah my uh, got, sorry yeah. We did body weight stuff um so we've oh, got okay. some, we've got some S&C programs that we send our academy boys to keep them occupied they had to evidence it so 
they did some runs, but they did a lot of um, body body weight stuff because not everyone's got weights or availability to to equipment. Mm. Um, so some of the boys have come back and they're in really good shape actually because they've done it properly. So actually, body weight anyone can do. So I think that's another thing maybe potentially to look at for anyone who's going yeah. back and then to their own body weight and their own time. But obviously, that's if they've got the time. Yeah, I've just got a, I've just got a funny feeling with with I mean the the one thing that sort of not made me laugh but got me worried was these teams that are going back to play leagues yeah. like i just uh, it, I, I fear for a lot of players you know if they've let's have it right at our, at our standard i doubt a lot of well not a lot you know there's going to be some that have done next to nothing yeah and they're going to stick out like a sore thumb to the ones that have done stuff um and I just really fear for some players when they go back the preparation. I'm hoping there's coaches out there that have got a little bit of a mindset like me. And there'll be some, I know there's some coaches out there that are going, Oh, we just got to get back playing. We just got to get back playing. But at the same time, I'm just going for my heads going. Imagine one of them does a really gets a really bad pull in the first session. You're like, that's it. He's done. He's got no more football now. That's it. And my duty of care for these young lads is to make sure that they are fit and they are healthy and they can go to work and blah, blah, blah. So uh, I am literally torn at the moment with, with, with regards to um, the amount I do. Um, but the one thing I already have bought is the resistant bands. And, yeah. You know, I think they're key. And it, it may be worth, I don't know what you want to do, but your first couple of sessions, just very technical, heavy. Because you can yeah. do a, you can do a good workout and a real heavy load of a session with with just technicals and maybe not even make a contact just to get them back into it and maybe look yeah. at that um, and then and then start to build in the contact as you go. Yeah, that contact stuff's the stuff I'm worried about. Like as much as I'd love them to kind of have like a little game, yeah. it's just that's that's when they start to probably do too much or they or and, that, and then that's bang, something goes and you're like oh, you're having a laugh. So yeah, no. Appreciate that, and I hope there's coaches out here that, that are listening to this as well, um, and uh, maybe have the same worries as me, and 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 or you know, or there's some coaches that have gone in thinking let's just get them out there playing football, yeah. not worried about that part of it. But no, I'm I'm glad you agree with me, Aaron. That the, the turnaround in time is just yeah, it's, not great. It's not, it's not not ideal at all. Not ideal. No. Um, um Aaron, on, moving on. on um, yeah. Just want to talk a bit about your future. Um, obviously, you obviously can't say too much because you don't know. But no. what do you like? What do you want from football? So I've, I've had this conversation quite a lot recently, actually, with with other coaches and friends of mine. And I've, obviously, I've seen some of my friends go into like different steps and manage and coach and things like that. But if you look at football now, it's the job security is not great. And my first and foremost is to make sure I have job security. That's why I've gone into my teaching and that's why um, I've got a career that I can always go into. And, it, and I'm just lucky that it coincides with running the Major United Academy and, and it goes hand in hand. It does allow me to also coach the first team and, and work with that. So I'm very, very lucky and privileged to be doing what I'm doing. Um, but if I'm at the moment, I'm very happy to do what I'm doing. I'm not in a rush to... Uh, look for managers jobs or anything like that because I'm not ready I'm nowhere near ready I'm really enjoying what I'm doing where, where I'm coaching I'm really enjoying seeing academy boys progress and play football at different steps and I, I know I'm on a no illusion I'm nowhere near ready and and the more and more I do it the more and more I question if I actually want to manage 
do I just want to carry on doing the academy stuff I'm doing and the coaching? Because I do the managing side at the academy now for games and stuff and coaches. So I'm getting I'm getting that and I'm still leading teams and everything. Um, but I think I said to you before, if if you told me five years ago that I'd be coaching in the National League and running the Major United Academy, it's got a National League Academy status. I said, you're bonkers. Absolutely no chance. Um, so I'm just really happy to do what I'm doing. Like the dream is obviously to coach as high as possible. Like I'm a Leeds fan. That would be unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm realistic in what in the approach. You look at some of the managers at the National League, like ex-players mm. uh, who have played Prem, like played champ football, like... And even in the South, the league below, and you know what I mean? You're competing with players that have been in and around it and who have actually earned, earned their stripes and, 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 and done their badges. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm on my B licence at the moment. I'm, I'm learning. The next step for me after that is hopefully the A. Um, but yeah, no rush at the moment. I'm just love learning, love getting different people's perceptions of football, watching different teams, how they set up tactically in the National League and, and how it how it's different in the academy and that I think that's really good for me that learning experience going from 16 to 19s to to men and then going back down and taking little bits from the men's back into the academy or oh, this is good and maybe little things from the academy that I can try with the first team that I've done before but yeah I mean I'm under no rush um we'll see where it takes me but I'm very very happy at Maidenhead and I'm, long may that continue and I'm hopefully I'm, I'm there as long as possible and working with Dev. That That's really interesting because I see a little bit of myself in that. I started as joint first team manager this year and um, towards the, well, just before we split up to, you know, with the COVID stuff, yes. um, I, um, I I made a decision to sort of step down from that first management role and just concentrate on being a head coach um, because I'm 33, so I'm, you know, sort of roughly the same age as you. Um, <laughs> and, and I felt that I wasn't ready. Um and I would rather concentrate on my coaching and developing and stuff like that and learning still from, from Andy, who's, who's, you know, uh, very experienced at what he does. He's been in football for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to just continue learning at the same time as, as, you know, having a, having a very good role. And I, that I, where you said like, you know, you may not even want to go into it. I'm sort of, like in that kind of ballpark as well at the moment where I'm like, well, maybe I don't, don't have to be a manager. Maybe I can be a very good assistant or very good head coach. And, you know, and that maybe that's the role for me. Um, so yeah, no, I, I can see a little, little bit of myself in that. Um, but yeah. No, yeah, and, it's, and, and that's it. And that's it. I think sometimes too, some people are too eager and too keen to go, I want to be a manager. I want to do this. And, and they might, and yes, you're always going to be successful at what you do. You're going to, you're going to fail and, and make mistakes. But if you do that too early on and you, you, you don't, you, you don't succeed and you, or you fail and keep failing too early on, it's going to be even harder to, to even get yeah. a position higher up. So you've got, it's, again, it's one that fine balance. And I think you, I think you admitting that you wanted to do that first is a great step and it's really good of you to do that. Same as me. I think, I think some, a lot of people would do that. They'd just go, oh, I'm going to carry on. I think it's really important that to reflect and have a look at it and take a step back. I think it was harming my development. Yeah. 100% it was harming. I was going away from what I was good at and concentrating on too much on one side of it and not concentrating enough on my coaching. Um, and, and I think it wasn't great for the players as well. You know, too many voices like and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, sometimes joint managers work and sometimes they don't. And, 
um, I mean, me and Andy have worked together a long time, so we, 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 we're on the same page. Like I said, uh, we yeah. call each other more than we call our missus, you know, so yeah. it's like, <laughs> um, so um, yeah, it, it's just sort of, you know, take a little bit of a step back and watch from afar and, and, and still do what you do. And I, I, you know, I take training like self and stuff like that. And, and, and the, the players know the roles of the, of the club then, you know, yeah. and there's, it's not sort of all too much of a, a head fuck for them. Um, yeah. Rich, you've got anything else, bud? I'm all, I do want to ask my I'm normal one league questions. Yeah, go on. Yeah, you crack on. Right. So, Aaron, I asked this for anyone that's in non-league. Um, yeah. I know you're at the pinnacle, at the top of non-league. Um, so, um, first, my first question is, what is the best away away ground grub you've had? Oh, I'll tell you now, I've experienced quite a few of them. Um, yeah. Best away. Well, this year we've not had any because of um, no. COVID. So I was trying to think back to last year. Could go down to your Burnham days even. Like, yeah, to, if you remember. to be fair, there used to be a good spread at Burnham after youth team games. I'll tell you that, there used to be a good one. But normally on the long way trips, um, the chairman treats us to fish and chips on the way back. So a lot of the way trips oh. are getting fish and chips. And it's all right when you win when you lose it doesn't taste as good so <laughs> i say the fish and chips in a way on a way especially when you're you're coming back from the south or like by the coast or whatever so it looks like oh, it's grim's i thought reaction. you were going to say the north i thought you were going to say the north <laughs> north do the but best fish and chips sure hartlepool yet so i'm sure oh, right. we'll get that on the way back but if grimsby get relegated this year as it looks like they might do that'd be some good grub up there i tell you yeah absolutely <laughs> um uh, yeah, so there's there's that one, and obviously the your favourite away, away ground that you have visited. Oh God, is, is for Maidenhead or just in general? In uh, as a coach, as, as a coach, coach yeah. um, do it as a coach. Oh, so probably it'd be Notts County this year. Um, also, especially when one three two makes it even sweeter. So there's obviously mm. a bit Tramia's been in the league in the past. That's a nice ground and. Uh, yeah, late Orient. We've had a couple of good FA Cup runs where we played Coventry at the Rico. Obviously, they don't play there anymore. But Port Vale uh, was was quite a different one. But I'd, I'd say the, the the nicest one I really enjoyed, and we I think we went there on Boxing Day last year, not two years ago, and we you lost three nil. And it wasn't great because we lost three nil, but the atmosphere and they're a big club. Mm, <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic, fantastic stadium. And then you come out, you look across the road, and you see. That's- not the forest. <laughs> That's it. And just around the corner is Trent Bridge Cricket yeah, Ground yeah. as well. They're all right in the right in and the same who place. <laughs> Brilliant. I knew you. Yes. The only, yeah. Only place in the UK, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, that's all my questions, Aaron. But thank yeah. you so much. This has been absolutely brilliant. Um, no, I appreciate you having me on. Honestly, I really enjoyed it. Obviously, you had a couple of good podcasts recently and you got some great guests lined up. So I'm looking forward to uh, listening to the rest. So I appreciate that, guys. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Um, hopefully, we'll get you on towards the end of the season and we can do a little review of the season if, if we can. Hopefully, it's uh, the end of the season. Right, exactly. That's what I'm on about. So, yeah, no, that'd, that'd be great. Um, but, yeah, cheers, Aaron. Appreciate it. Nice. Cheers, Aaron. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys. mate. Appreciate it. Take care. So, that was our episode with Aaron O'Brien. Uh, Rich, uh, you know, like I said, I know Aaron a little bit and um, I, he came across such a brilliant guest and guy. He was really open and, you know, um, for me personally, he's been, you know, um, a really big help on my 
coaching career with little things that he's he's helped me with and uh you know I've taken quite a bit of knowledge away from him and uh, you're able to get that from him and just just listen yeah. to him in that that episode he just comes across as an excellent coach uh, and it's amazing to hear his story how it sort of just took off uh where he 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 was offered that opportunity on on that night away at Bath. Uh, he obviously took it, and he's flown with it. I mean, he, even he said he couldn't believe how it's how it's evolved and how he's now he's now running the, the Maidenhead United Academy. He's the first team head coach. He, he, he is he has done an amazing job to get where he is, and being that he's got that attitude, I just I I think he can go even further. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's something that we've spoken about many a times on this podcast. Is, is taking that chance in football, and mm. and you know, you know, Aaron was very young when he started at Burnham, and and um, and then obviously moving on and and getting the opportunity to work at Maidenhead as you know part of the women's team, and and obviously uh, he went in there as a goalkeeper coach because he thought it was a great set to get into, um, and and. It, you know, another string to his bow, um, as you say, and and that that chance of just get, came along and he took it and look where he is now. He's mm. he's a first team head coach at Vanarama National League Club, um, yeah. and, and a very successful one as well um, uh, currently because obviously the promotions they've had and and and, and working alongside like a legend mm. in mm. in Alan Devonshire, which we've spoken about before. Um, mm. I can't thank Aaron enough uh, for coming on and. And, and giving us his time and his comments and his thoughts, um, yeah, and, and a great mindset, I think as well. Rich Aaron has such a good mindset. Um, he, you know, he, he's a winner. He's a winner. Yeah, he's a doer. Yeah, and he, and he. Yeah, um, yeah. He doesn't take any fools or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? He's sort yeah. of, you know, he switched on, and for a young guy, you know. He's, was he 32, 31, 32? I think he said so. You know, for a young guy as well, with a head coach at that age, he's got mm. so many years ahead of him. And, mm. and, you know, especially in the modern day football where coaches are getting younger and and um, the respect they're sort of earning. You also yeah. earned a lot of respect from, from the players as well. So, definitely. Thank you very much, Aaron, for coming on. This has been the Hit in the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and Richard Kyson. Thank you.